you and I have both been annoying inside of organizations because everybody's going and we're looking around and we're, and we're thinking, I don't think this is going somewhere good. Hey, everybody, I don't think this is going somewhere good. And there's some percentage of the people that respond to that by saying something like, could you shut up? Like, that's annoying. You're ruining morale, you know, go away. And I'm like, I don't know why we're here. Hey all, welcome to Building Better Games. Today, we wanna to talk about focusing on value, not work, in game development. Time and time again, we see game teams struggle with the feeling that they're not moving fast enough, or that something isn't right with the game, but they don't have time to think about it because there's so much work to do. Have you ever been in these situations? Your team is focused on finishing the sprint, but you know the work being done isn't that important. Everyone seems to think we're going slow, but no one seems to have a solution besides work harder. Leadership is obsessed with staying on track to some deadline or plan, but no one seems to know what the game actually is. You don't feel like the game is coming together, but if you focus on that, you'll fall behind and get in trouble. You're not alone. These are the issues that arise when we're focused on building stuff and doing work instead of creating compelling experiences that resonate with players. To make things even trickier, we must get stuff done in order to create those experiences. We can't have a wonderful experience on a particular map without a map and a character and all sorts of other things. So what the heck are we supposed to do? We're going to talk about that today. We want to help you hone in on what true progress looks like and at the same time understand that a lot of what we think progress is, isn't really progress at all. We're going to be talking about value and stuff a lot today, and those mean specific things to us, and I want to just get you all up to speed on what we mean when we say that. So value is what companies create that allows them to survive and thrive. Value will solve problems or unlock opportunities for companies' audience. So if you're a game studio, that's your players. You've solved a problem for them. Hey, how am I going to spend my time? Maybe you've unlocked opportunities. Oh my gosh, this is a wonderful way to spend time with my friends. Whatever it is, right? And it's what gets you paid. Yeah. Stuff is different. In games, it's the model. It's the code. It's the design, like the scripting. The art assets. Yeah, all the art stuff, everything. All the components that come together. So whenever you see a successful game, it has some amount of stuff that was built so that it is actually a game. Without the stuff, you don't have a game. But the stuff is not the game. And there's this idea that a game is greater than the sum of its stuff, you might say. So value is not the stuff that companies physically or digitally build. I'm going to talk about this through the lens of a car. Why do we have cars? We don't have cars because they have wheels or engines. We have cars because we want to get from one place to the other faster than we could walking or biking. But it's the value of the car is that it's something, it's actually more about freedom and more about accessing more space than you otherwise could than it is about it being a car. Most people would not go out there and just be like, yeah, I'd love to just buy a steering wheel and an engine. I could buy all the car parts separately. Maybe it would be cheaper and I'll just leave them in my garage. Like no one's going to do that because there's not value unless if it's put together in the right way to get you where you're trying to go. All those car parts, that's the stuff the freedom, the ability to move from one place to the other, that's the value. And that's what you're buying when you buy a car. The average person doesn't care what's under the hood. And to link this like directly to game development, by the way, 
the thing that Ben and I consistently see as we work with game teams, and we've experienced a ton in our career building games, is someone somewhere has a list of features and they're convinced that if they get the list of features done, good things are going to happen. Value will be created. This is akin to, back to Ben's analogy there, of thinking that if you just collect enough car parts, that you're going to be able to create the value. Or this is like saying if you just had all the parts of a car, you would automatically achieve all the value of the car. It's overwhelmingly wrong. Yes. And yet this is how we see most development teams approaching development. This is what we usually refer to as the production phase when we start articulating all the car parts and putting them in the right order to start constructing the item on the factory line. But if, again, unless you know exactly what the car is and what the value of a car is, you're not ready to do that. Cool. Yeah. So let's dive into it. This conversation is really close to our hearts, right? This whole conversation, we're going to talk about understanding when you're working from a place of value or you're working from a place of just doing stuff. Yeah. You know, we've heard this philosophy so many times of get shit done, mm-hmm. right? That's like the sort of traditional producer. What, what's your philosophy? GSD, get shit done. Heard it a million times. And there really is an obsession with progress as it pertains to burning down a backlog of things and getting things done in game development. You know, drawing that all the way to this problem that you stated where it's like, why is everything going so slow? Like, how can it be that we have such massive documents filled with all of these features and tasks and things and JIRA backlogs, thousands and thousands of JIRA tickets and all of this supposed stuff that we need to get done, that's, you know, a good chunk of it seems to be getting done, yet there's really no progress. The first thing that pops up into my mind, and you touched on this, is the question, what does progress mean? Yeah, yeah. And I think that we mistake the answer to that question for all the things you just said. Well, we had a plan. We had a roadmap. We had a Gantt chart. We had a backlog of stuff. And we saw it burn down. And in reality, the progress is a playable experience. Progress is a game that a player can enjoy. Progress is we had a thesis about how players would interact with this and what they would think is cool. And we validated that or invalidated that. There's a much more experiential component to progress is basically what we're pushing. Whenever we think about progress, we're thinking about it through the lens of how did someone relate to this product? Why did they relate to it in that way? And what were we intending or expecting? Does that line up? How do we shift it to adjust to what we learned from watching them experience the product and and interact with the product? So progress becomes, instead of it being, well, we have 12 features to do, we are 50% of the way through our timeline and we have six of the 12 features done, we are on track and we will continue to progress through the plan to get the features done. Progress becomes, I think the players are actually really enjoying this. They seem to want to play it more. There's some stuff we can clean up and not everything's done yet, obviously, but it seems like they're more and more interested in longer and longer sessions. You know, maybe the first time you did a play test with players, you scheduled an hour and after 15 minutes, they were all kind of done with the game because that's all you'd had. You didn't really have a ton of content. And maybe some number of months later, 
you have an hour long play test with a group of players. And at the end of the hour, they're all so engrossed, they don't want it to end. That to me is an amazing sign of progress. That's what value is that you're delivering something, you're delivering an experience that people want to participate in. And it's very different than an artist created 12 concepts in the last two weeks instead of 10. Yeah. That actually might not matter at all. Yeah. I mean, you and I out in the wider world from our own experience making games, but working with clients in real time now, what we are seeing consistently is a frustration, an ever-present frustration about why we don't seem to be moving. Mm -hmm. The way that it's perceived is we're not making enough progress. Everything's going really slow. Yeah, we're going slow. We're going slow. People are too inexperienced. Like, why are they making bad decisions? There's a lot of these sort of assertions that come out of this frustration with not moving, not getting enough done or not moving fast enough. And you and I will come into these spaces and we will immediately see something different. We will see that nobody knows what the game is, that nobody knows what's important. Or if they do know what's important, somehow they're expressing that they're being incentivized to focus on something else. Yeah. Like, I feel like the things my team is working on aren't actually that useful or I don't know why they matter but at the same time, it's in the plan. And so I have to get it done. Yep. So it's like immediately we see this competition between the human desire to make something that's valuable, make something that has an impact, make something that's fun. Or I should say kind of the innate game developer, desire of a good game developer versus having to get all this shit done. Yes. Having to get all this stuff done that's in the plan. And that is the tension we're really talking about. And understanding how one falls on one side or the other and why both are necessary. Yep. You need both. You have to create value and you have to build stuff. You cannot just do one or the other. Yet the trend we consistently see is people just building mountains and mountains of stuff yes. and assuming that when they're done with all the stuff, that a good value is going to come out of that. And that is just simply not true. Yes. I want to elaborate a little bit on what you just said. What you were implying was in order to succeed, you have to both create value and build stuff. Yep. The implication there is that there's an understanding that value connects to success. However, at a very simple level, if you're not interested in succeeding or you haven't oriented yourself that way, there are plenty of companies out there just building stuff. And it's all kinds of stuff in all different directions. The problem is it's not coming together to value. It's not leading to any sort of success. Stuff by itself doesn't automatically equal value. And value by itself is almost impossible to create without stuff. You have to do something. You have to build something. You have to engage with the work of whatever it would be to set up the environment where value happens. Create a game that's really fun and people are really digging it. Even if it's a prototype, somebody had to make that. Exactly. And so, somebody had to break that down into tasks and bits or whatever and get the work done to make that possible. And it is that relationship and the nuance and confusion about that relationship that is so hard for us as game developers to wrap our heads around. Yes. When you're doing the tasks, you're just putting one brick in front of the other, building the path yep. that hopefully is leading you somewhere. But if the path isn't going any specific direction, 
if you're just laying down as many bricks as you can as quickly as you can, and then you wonder why you ended up in a random place or nowhere after a long period of time, it's because you never knew where your path was going. That's the quintessential problem we see over and over again. So the first point I want to hit, you must know what the game should be and your team must know what the game should be. If you don't know, Mm -hmm. we're telling you to go and ask. And if nobody knows, you need to work with people to figure that out. One of the most important things you can do is figure out what the game should be. I'm reminded of um, a startup we worked with where they were building an inventory system and they built multiple versions of the inventory system. Like they'd, they'd written it and then they finished it and then kind of looked around and they were like, well, we could make it better. And they made it better. And they looked around again and they were like, well, I think we could, we could try this again. And they made it again. And when we were talking to them, they were thinking about redoing that inventory system for the fourth time. And one of the problems was they didn't really know what the inventory system was supposed to do in the context of the greater game because they didn't really know what the greater game is. There was this vague sort of like, it'll be all these things, but that wasn't enough. That wasn't the experience described sufficiently for them to understand, ah, got it. I understand how an inventory system would fit into this. And so what were they doing? Well, they were they were just iterating on what they knew. They were just like, well, I mean, we're all here. We need to do work on the game and we've got an inventory system. We know that's important, or at least we think it's important. I guess we can just keep working on it, right? Because that's adding value except it's not. It's very much an example of building stuff that was adding no value. And if that whole team had said, we refuse to work until you explain to us how this inventory system is going to plug into the greater experience so we can understand what we should actually be building and whether it's some elaborate giant system or some very small, simple system, none of that was clear because they didn't know what the game is. And this, I loved how you you were writing about this and you said that value is annoying because it's abstract. Like it's annoying to ponder and to dive into like, what does it mean to create value? What is a resonant player experience and how do I describe that? Sometimes it's like, we think it's writing a user story. Oh, okay, now it's value. Right, yes. Or sometimes we think it's like, oh, well, if I say, if I say the inventory system has to be fun, now it's value. It's, as you and I talk about this and discuss it and teach it, I realize that it is all in the nuance. Yes. It is extremely complex. And I think that that is one of the reasons why there are, in my opinion, a handful of people in the world that can do this really well. Yeah. When I, when I say that, like can build a cohesive product vision that sort of like gets in between your molecules and makes you feel and deeply understand like what the game is, like innately understand it. We see game developers say, well, we know what the game is. And they'll say something like, it's like StarCraft 2, but with like medieval stuff. Or it's it's like World of Warcraft, but on console. And you hear a lot of these kind of anecdotes about when people are describing what the game is. But as you listen to those, on the surface, they might sound like they can guide your decisions. Mm-hmm. They don't actually guide your decisions at all. Right. And I think when... I hear really talented games industry leaders talk about what a game is in a way that is useful, that is empowering for people to make value-based decisions. They talk about what the experience is like. And I used 
actually the example of the card game, uh, a card game that we we once worked uh, very closely with. Mm-hmm. And, and the product lead of that card game, like referencing Hearthstone and referencing Magic the Gathering and talking about just immediately zeroing in on the player experience and saying things like, because of the simplicity of these games and the natural mechanics of card games, you're limited by the sort of turn-based mm-hmm. element. And as a player, we want to create more unexpected like, oh, shit experiences, oh, shit moments where it's like, I didn't expect you to pull that card or that mm. card was in a specific reaction and you actually played your card, your sort of action or interrupt card during my turn. And like balancing the right level of complexity to not like overburden the system, like, right, but really bringing in, more, infusing more of that competitive feel. Like, so you get those gameplay moments. That was the focus was like creating these gameplay moments that you don't often have. You have some in Hearthstone and in Magic, but not, what if we had more? What if there was more of that? What if it was more poppy, more unpredictable, more like reactive, more fluid, the experience. And as they're describing, and by the way, there's a part of me that goes like, there's just a bunch of crap coming out of your mouth there. And like, what does this even mean? As a, someone who's only lightly played card games, I hear somebody speaking like that and I slowly start to understand which direction they're going. Yes. And as we talked about earlier, whether that's right or wrong, whether that's a good direction to go or bad or whether the trade-offs are worth it or et cetera, any number of things you discover during game development, I understand where they want to go. I understand what they want to focus on. Yes. And if we talk about that enough times, I can go and run a team and make sure that we're making good decisions in honor of that vision. Yeah. And that's what we often don't see enough of. And that's what we're talking about when we talk about communicating in terms of value. It's communicating in terms of the experience, communicating in terms of the feel, and actually really leaning into that nuance. Yes. I think that that's so uncomfortable for so many of us. I mean, you and I are yeah. producer, producers by trade, right? Like we're the guys who have to build the plan most of the time. So we get that discomfort, but that discomfort is driving us towards a world of stuff where everything is organized and everything is planned and everything is detailed and this much fits into the sprint and that's coming up on the backlog and it's this 30 features and then we're done and this milestone. And it's like, and it, most of the time it gets you nowhere because no one's talking about the feel. No one's talking about the nuance. No one actually gets the game or understands the game. Yes. No one knows what it is that a player would be doing, why they would enjoy it, and why they choose to spend time doing that instead of all the other things. I love that example of the card game because it's clear then, oh, okay, you're making an assumption that there's some type of player out there that is frustrated by the simplicity of the turn-based mechanics and would like to be more engaged throughout the experience. That might be a bad assumption. You don't know. But at least I can understand, hey, this is your audience and this is why they might choose this instead of what's already out there, contrasted with <laughs> At least the, you're aware of the assumption you're making, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. It contrasted with, it's StarCraft II, but with medieval soldiers. And it's like, that doesn't actually mean anything. Because I could, I can take any game. It's Grand Theft Auto, but set in the world of Mass Effect. Oh, I mean, we can imagine something, but we don't actually relate to that in a way where it's like, why would someone choose to play that instead of Grand Theft Auto or Mass Effect? If you think that you're going to be able to put together some production roadmap 
with a bunch of stuff, with hundreds and hundreds of items of stuff that you distribute gracefully to all your dozens and dozens of developers. And that once you get all the stuff done, a good game is going to be the result. You are wrong. I will bet on you being wrong. Mm -hmm. Like the statistics are not in your favor. It's funny what we feel is waste and what we feel is productive because you and I often look at doing a bunch of stuff that no one actually knows is valuable is the ultimate form of waste. And most yes. of the developers initially that we interact with think of the, about the idea of stopping working and thinking about what the game is is a very yes. wasteful activity because you're not, quote unquote, getting anything done, right? Right. So. We're, not, we're not moving because that's the easiest thing to do. The easiest thing is, well, I'm an artist or I'm an engineer or I'm a designer or whatever. Mm -hmm. I have a rough... Someone gave me a vague idea that we're making StarCraft II with medieval units. And I'm start cranking out those medieval units as quickly as I can. <laughs> yeah, I'll start like thinking, okay, I'll start designing things. I'll start drawing things and painting things. I'll start <laughs> coding things. And to stop feels like you're a heretic. We don't have time. We don't have time to stop. And to stop while other people are going makes you feel like even more of a heretic. Exactly. And by the way, I'll be honest. Solidarity, man. You and I have both been annoying inside of organizations because everybody's going and we're looking around and we're, and we're thinking, I don't think this is going somewhere good. Hey, everybody, I don't think this is going somewhere good. And there's some percentage of the people that respond to that <laughs> by saying something like, could you shut up? Like, that's annoying. Like, you're, you're ruining morale. You know, go, go away. And I'm like, I don't know why we're here. If... A lot of people don't know why we're here. It means that the decisions we're making day to day probably aren't making that experience better. They're probably just us filling our need to get stuff done. And that's not actually leading to value. Yeah, I find that perplexing even to this day, even how despite the umpteen times I've been in that situation and had those conversations, I still find it perplexing. If I go around to a hundred person team and I spot check 20 people or 30 people and zero of them have any idea what it is that we're trying to accomplish. My first thought is like, well, we might as well just go on vacation. Because if we're, if we're going to blow hundreds of thousands of dollars a month on this yeah, and no one has any idea where we're going, like we might as well at least have fun with it. Let's go somewhere nice. <laughs> I think it's actually a few things. One, if I have work to do and I can do it, my life is a little bit easier. Yeah. I can just grab the next thing off the top and yep. it, it's, it's a simplification of everything I'm doing. Two, if I'm working hard, I don't think I'll get fired. I don't think I'll have to take a serious hit or adjustment to my life. Yeah. And so maybe we don't, I don't know exactly what we're doing, but if I keep my head down and keep working, most likely no one's going to at least get mad at me and I can just build stuff. I'll just keep doing that and it'll be safe and maybe it doesn't lead to anything, but it'll be safe. I do think that there are some real primal. Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, Maslow's hierarchy style, like this job provides for a basic thing. And for me to go in and ask a bunch of existential questions, what if they take that seriously and they say, oh, shoot, no one on this 100 person team knows what it's doing. Let's shut it down. That's that's a huge threat. Well, you and I have both experienced this in our professional lives running this business, which is that the more uncertain the world is around what we should be focusing on the easier it is for us to just make a list of tasks. Yes. 
start doing them and start knocking out that list of tasks it feels good it's a visceral reward like i got stuff done today i have no Mm -hmm. idea what my purpose is in life but boy did i knock out a bunch of things on that to-do list seven to-do list items yeah okay cool so second thing we're talking here to leaders and producers primarily your job is to communicate that player experience once you determine what it is so that your team understands the connection between their work and what's valuable. Everything that is being made needs to be about making that player experience better, directly or indirectly. Even if you're a tools engineer, and while I don't actually impact the player experience directly, doesn't matter what is it that you would build as a tools engineer or a tech artist or something that helps the artists or the designers or something that helps them create what the player experience needs. Yeah. So so everything is funneled through that lens. Yeah, I agree. And like, I would go as far as to say that if there's a fundamental transformational shift that we would like to see games industry leaders make, it's if you show up to work every day on a game team and you have internalized the idea that your job is to get the work done, take a step back and really think about that because that in my opinion, is not your job. Your job is to ensure that the work being done is valuable first. Yes. This is damn near a law that the biggest form of waste we consistently see in every single game studio is work being done that no one knows is actually valuable. And if you're just going to take a gamble and do a piece of work because you think it's probably valuable, you are probably wrong. Because the truth is, is that most of the things we come up with, we don't actually need. So if you can take a step back and ask one question, which is, why is this piece of work important? If you can ask and solicit answers from the organization, even not from yourself, even if you don't know the answer, if you can ask and solicit and get that conversation going, you've done an invaluable service to everyone Because now what you've done is empowered every single other person around you to make better decisions about what is valuable. Mm -hmm. And if you've done that, you've now created an explosion of efficiency in your general area as people cut out all the stuff that doesn't need to be done and focus on the most important things. Again, if you think your job is to look at a list of things and get them done, no, 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 no. I understand that a lot of people are being told that this is good or shown that this is good. It's only good if you already know it's valuable. And the, the truth is, is yes. that more often than not, we we don't see that teams already know it is valuable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and even the way that you express, so let's say you've gone, you know, you followed step one and you've said, shoot, I don't think people know what the game is. Let me go try to find out. Okay. Now you've got some kind of answer. One of the first instincts is great. Can you just break that into a giant bunch of design docs for me or a giant feature list for me or something like that? And then I'll start taking that apart. You do eventually do that. You do eventually get to the point where that's broken down and someone has to do the work, but we want to do it so fast. And when we do it so quickly, it's because I don't want to have to worry about that abstract stuff. And what we're saying is that your job as a leader is to make sure everybody's constantly aware of and making decisions based on the abstract stuff around what is valuable for the player. Why are people going to play this and not the thousands of other games that exist out there in the world? Those are the things you want to be grounded in. A hundred percent. And a viable answer is you don't know. I don't want any 
games industry leader to hear this and go, well, sometimes I ask the question and everyone just shrugs their shoulders, or am I going to look stupid if I ask the question and I don't know? If it is true that people will feel or look stupid by asking those questions, then there's something wrong with the culture. Because if your culture is based on the presumption that we should know and everyone should know and there should be no question and there should be no uncertainty, that's wrong. Yeah. And it needs to be challenged. And the reason I mention this specifically is because it is often the case that we don't know. It is often the case that we have a hypothesis. And then the work can just be a function to serve figuring it out. Right. Learning. Right. Right. Like there's no way you're going, even if you spent all your time aligning and discovering what the perfect experience was and figuring that out and giving everybody on board. Like it's once it makes contact with reality, you're a bunch of those hypotheses are going to be invalidated. You're going to have more questions that you didn't think to ask that come up that you don't have answers to back to what the role of leaders are in these scenarios. It is to facilitate that happening as efficiently as possible. Yes. To not reject that uncertainty, but to bring it in and say, okay, cool. We have a new question about is this part of the combat system actually fun or engaging? Yes. We think it is right now. How do we test that as quickly as possible? Yep. And this is where contact in both of these things, in both the understanding of what the game is and then the idea of communicating that experience out to your team and, and somehow structuring that, contact with reality, as you described it, interacting with players. What does it mean for a player to enjoy your product? Well, have someone play it and find out. Yeah. Go find players of your game. Bring them in. Have them sign in NDAs, whatever it is. If you're doing that earlier on, it's going to be unbelievably valuable. And the early version of this, and we've done a podcast on playtests before, um, so I'll just call that out. You can go listen to that one if you'd like. The idea of playtesting internally is about this as well. It's about connecting with what the game is supposed to be. Because we, we were actually recently talking to a company and they did a playtest, but because they weren't used to doing playtests, the playtest became a product review. And that's not the point of a playtest. Those are two different things. A playtest is let me engross myself in this experience. Let me just dive in and see what this is about. And if you understand the genre that you're operating in, if you understand games, hopefully you can go in and say, okay, would I be entertained by this if I had just encountered it for the first time? The playtest keeps you connected. Putting your product in front of players keeps you connected. Our number three thing here is to always, always consider this question and everything that you do. What is the smallest amount of stuff you can make to create the player experience you want? Or another question that might be valuable is what's the smallest amount of stuff you can create to learn the lesson that you need to learn? Use that minimalist approach to rapidly get to a place where you can see if you were right. Making more stuff than you need will be the biggest waste of time your teams will face. We promise mm -hmm. you, this has just been this recurring theme over and over and over in our careers that there's so many assumptions about what's required. And very rarely do we see, hey, don't make those art, art assets, just gray box it for now. Hey, don't write that copy. Use the designer animations, like just hack it in for now. Like we're, we'll throw it, we really will throw it away. You should throw it away. We really will throw it away. <laughs> Sorry, I know engineers get triggered by this because half the time the producers end up not actually throwing it away. 
And then they're like, see, you got me again, sir. You said it was, you said it was temp. <laughs> yeah. So don't do that, producers. It's naughty. But this is a great culture to build on your teams and to have teams fearlessly be willing to be minimalist about the approach, to mm-hmm. rush to the point where you can play the thing and feel the thing and see the thing and ask, does it fit into the bigger picture? If the answer yes. is yes, then fill in all the blanks. But that minimalist approach is going to be one of your weapons of mass destruction to be an effective leader in this space to yes. get to a place of value. Yes. There's a this idea of how do I do not just valuable things, but the most valuable things. I remember when this when I was struck by this and I had this big meeting planned with like a 25, 30 person team. And there was an agenda and it was really hard to book this many people and it was going to be 90 minutes long. We were going to try to figure something out. And I got in and I was the facilitator and I abjectly failed. The team got really distracted by a bunch of other things and we went back and forth about what we were trying to do. And we ended up talking about all kinds of random things involving the project we were on. And we walked out and I remember as we were walking out, people were like, well, we didn't get what we wanted to done, but but this was a valuable conversation. This was a valuable conversation. Everybody was kind of saying that. I almost think in sort of a self-soothing way, if I'm honest, when I look back of like, no, 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 I know I just sat in there for 90 minutes, but like it was valuable, right? And the reality was it, it was valuable. However, I was struck as the facilitator that I needed to get these 30 people back in a room again sometime very soon to make a time-sensitive decision that we had just booked 90 minutes for and not accomplished. Now, I'm not saying you can't pivot your agenda, but nothing that we talked about was as valuable as what we'd gone into that room to do. The decisions we were supposed to make were still not made. And now I needed to go back into calendar and... It was all valuable, but none of it was what you needed. Yes, exactly. And by the way, this happens all the time. I suddenly realized that, shoot, if you put me... Like when, when I was at Riot, right? If you put me in a room with six other rioters and you said, have a conversation about Riot and the games Riot makes, odds are we would have a valuable conversation. We would learn things from each other. We would gain understanding. It would be valuable, but it's certainly not the most valuable thing I could do to, for eight hours a day, jump into random meetings for an hour each and just talk to people. There's actually a difference between what's valuable and what's most valuable. And so it's not enough just to discover what your game is, to understand what the player experience is, and then to try to figure out how do I create value towards that? You have to go another step, which which is to say, well, now that I have an understanding of the why, and I kind of understand where we're trying to go and what the experience is supposed to be, what's the most valuable thing I can do? And what's the shortest amount of time I can do it in? What's the least amount of stuff that I would need to create that value? And ever since then, I've constantly been thinking about this. All value creation is always opportunity cost. Just like when you're just doing work, when you're doing stuff and you have no idea why you're doing it, that's all opportunity cost. That's all waste. And this is why we need to spend time talking about value and what's most valuable. Because if we don't, you will do lots of valuable things that probably don't get you as far as you want. And this is where collaboration and talking with your team and talking with people who have the best understanding of the product vision, be that designers or production or product managers. I don't don't care, whoever it is, like your creative designer or creative lead director, like you want those people 
to be constantly saying, this is what the experience is and this is how we move towards it. And you want to be going, what's the least I can do to get there? On the subject of minimalism, like I think it's worth taking a moment to talk about the traps that we see people fall into. One of the ones that stymies me consistently is the infatuation with what I would call production level assets and quality way too early on mm -hmm. in, in the process. When we talk about things like gray boxing, like for those of you that are, are new to some of this terminology, we're talking about basically just putting together some janky piece of software where the visuals aren't in place and, and it just enough to get you into the experience. We consistently see that there is this like, well, let's make all the beautiful art. And like we, we recently saw a system of like character skills where the character skills all had some of the most beautiful iconography we've seen in some time. Like the artist truly did good work, high quality work that I would expect to see in a ship ready game. Yep. But at the same time, we were looking at it and thinking no one's even really tried this yet. So the chances that any of this stays consistent long enough for that to make it to production is almost zero. Yes. So that's wasteful activity. That's precisely what we're talking about is when we become obsessed. And, and again, in a world where there's all this uncertainty and we don't know it's fun yet or we don't know it's good yet and we're just testing stuff out, it's harder to feel like we're making progress. So what do we do? Well, we find a way to feel good about making progress. Let's make, let's crank out all the art assets. Let's crank out all the sounds. Let's build the big, robust, you know, engineering system. Just keep in mind again, minimalism is your friend here. And as long as those questions are outstanding or that people are still asking like, what is the game? What is fun? What does combat mean in our game? Like whatever those questions are, don't allow yourself to fall into the trap of over-engineering everything because not only are you wasting that time, but you have to unwind all of that later and you have to get yeah. rid of all that later, which is even more waste. So you might think it's a bummer to have gray box characters running around in your prototype game, but trust me, it's a hell of a lot better than blowing you know, hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars on assets that no one will ever use. Yeah. There's uh, the phrase icky wissy. I'll know it when I see it was when you mentioned before we yeah. started this talk. Icky wissy. It, for me, I actually would, would shift it slightly. And it's I'll know it when I experience it a lot of times in games. Yeah. And that can help frame that minimalism or that essentialist approach. What are the, the smallest amount of essential things I would produce to create an experience that I can try and go, ah, I think this is it. This feels fun. Ooh, that felt like, ooh, I just, I just did a, depending on your game, a single player fight or a co-op experience or a, I was PVPing with somebody and that felt pretty good actually. Whatever it is in your product, I don't know what feel you're going for, but what are the fewest things you can do? Because if you do those few things, now you create an experience that you can learn from and that will help you pick the next most essential group of things to make that experience even better. And that's actually the... The line we want to send you down is we want we want you to be constantly making just the essential things that create that the experience you want and improve that experience over time. Yeah, that is fundamentally what you just described, the value-based approach. Yes, and that's what progress is. That's where when earlier... Exactly. That's what real progress is, is real progress is seeing the product, seeing the game, seeing the experience slowly evolving as work is being done. Yep. Cool. Okay, fourth point. 
this one, you have to talk about the vision and the strategy a lot. You have to talk about it every day. And people in your company should be talking about it all the time. This is subtly different. The second point we kind of talked about, once you know what the experience is, you need to be like making sure your team knows about that. But vision and strategy, they connect at the highest level. And it's vision is like, this is the impact we want to have upon the world. This is what we're trying to do. This is how we're trying to change the world for a player or for a group of players. And then the strategy is here's how we're actually trying to execute that. These are very high level concepts. And if you're talking about that all the time, it, it helps people know what decision to make in the moment to moment. So this just reiterates a lot of what we've already talked about. Leaders need to focus the most here and the most on the vision and the value side of things. That's really important. They need to be tied into this. And the higher up in, in an organization you go, the more you're thinking about vision and value and what's the impact we're trying to have? What is that experience and all those things? You want to be worrying less and less and less about the details. You're not making them and you don't understand all the complexity that goes into them. And that's okay. Yeah. You're guarding the experience to be like, hey, this this is feeling good. And that's where you should be driving people. It's worth noting that one of the anti-patterns we consistently see is senior leaders spending all their time thinking about stuff yes. and asking about stuff. And where are we at with the milestone and where are we at with the JIRA backlog? We would like those senior leaders to spend more of their time, an inordinate amount of their time, thinking about value. Like we have a little chart that we show where it's basically the higher up in the organization you go, the more of your time you should be spending on value and the less of your time you should be spending on stuff. And that should be flipped or inverted, not completely, but for yeah. for folks that are actually building things on the ground every day, the contributors. They have to think about stuff. You're going to probably spend most of your time thinking about stuff, but you should still be spending a significant amount of your time thinking about value because yes. every one of your stuff level decisions is going to be informed by that. So, but again, I think one of the reasons why organizations become obsessed with stuff and and getting ticking off boxes on the on the backlog as it were or or just crunching out features is because their leaders are only talking about that. So they're creating an incentive around the, again, the GSD approach, right? And that's just not getting you where you want to go. Right. If you're doing it really well, what you'll produce is a lot of car parts. Yeah. But good luck putting them together into a car if you're not thinking about that from the start. Yeah, it's worth noting that a lot of the organizations that we see leaning this route have convinced themselves that they do know that they're building a car and they know exactly what that car looks like. And uh, we're not here to say that they're wrong. We are going to say very emphatically, though, that that I hope that you're right, because that is an incredibly risky bet. And if you're wrong, you have... And odds are you're wrong. Yeah, and odds are that you're wrong. You have a world of hurt coming your direction, unfortunately. Value is something you chase. Yeah. It's like the white rabbit, you know, but you don't... Yeah. You don't always know it. And when you do think you know it, you that's when to be cautious actually, I think. Yes. When you're absolutely convinced that you know what the value is, just be very cautious. And it's it's worth noting that we are coming full circle back to the original question that spurned us to make this episode, which is running into game team after game team after game team who have the same concern, which is why does it feel like we're doing all this work yet we're not getting anywhere? And that question I feel like is a quintessential game development question for organizations that are struggling and most end up struggling at some point. 
the first responses that people tend to pitch are like, well, let's look into operations. Maybe there's some inefficiencies here. Maybe you're using the mm-hmm. wrong project management philosophy. And Ben mm-hmm. and I, the thing we consistently see is that what you think progress need, should be is not actually what progress is. Like that you're stuck in a world where you're trying to get stuff done. And maybe the value is a little more evasive. Maybe the white rabbit has outrun you. <laughs> you can, you yeah. can't. You cannot yeah. catch them. So reframe your team and your leadership team's view of what progress is to a value-based framework. There have been a lot of companies that we've worked with where if we had gone in and said, we're going to help you get all your Jira products or projects in order, and we're going to get all your tickets organized, and man, you're going to burn through tickets like you have no idea. Like A lot of those teams, we would just be accelerating their path to nowhere. Yeah. One of the ways this manifested is often I would have people wanted, wanting to know like when a feature is going to be done. And I would give them really annoying answers. We think we're going to have all the components of what we think might be the feature that might solve this problem done in a, a month and a half. Oh, cool. So a month and a half. I'm like, well, assuming it all goes well, but I can't guarantee that right now. I hope yeah. it goes well. I hope our designers created the perfect system on the first try. But the odds are actually pretty poor that they did. So, yeah, we will learn something in a month and a half, I think. And then we will figure out, do we need to keep working on that? Yeah. Or do we need to go somewhere else? And this this idea that you can continue to prioritize the same thing over and over and over because it's the most valuable thing is just anathema to those who are trying to just r- like run through the plan and the backlog and the like the list of features and just get them all done. Well, no, I'm not going to build four features. I'm going to build one feature four times because it didn't work the first three. And that might be the right thing. And by the way, this is very different from a world where I build the inventory system four times because I just don't know what else to do. This is the conscious choosing to rebuild the same feature because I'm trying to achieve an outcome for a player. I'm trying to achieve a player experience, trying to create engagement with my audience. And I didn't do it. That's more important than me moving on to the next thing. And when you're thinking that way, when your team is thinking that way, that means you've connected to the value and you're not obsessed with stuff. And now you can place stuff in its proper context, which is in service to value. Here are the major takeaways we hope you get out of this episode. If you or the leaders around you don't know what's valuable, that's a huge problem. You must know what the game should be. Go and ask or help create that vision if no one knows. This is the most valuable thing you can do for the success of your team and game. Second, everything that is made needs to be making the player experience better. As a leader, your job is to communicate that experience so your team understands the connection between their work and what's valuable. Third, always, always, always consider this question. What is the smallest amount of stuff you can make to create the player experience you want? Making more stuff than you will need is the biggest waste of time a game dev team and studio will face. There are a million valuable things you could do. You have to choose what's most valuable. Fourth, you have to talk about the vision and strategy a lot. Talk about it every day. This will help you and everyone around you make decisions that are aligned with what the game should be and prevent you from misunderstanding what progress is. All right, thanks for listening. We hope this episode helps you create better games faster. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment right now to rate or review us wherever you're listening. Your support helps us bring you more content. Appreciate you tuning in for Building Better Games. Bye-bye.